0: Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberta Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Uh, So we have a very interesting program today. What we're going to be doing is we're going to actually be talking about money, everyone's favorite, right? So we're going to be getting into that. I want to preface this by saying this is not financial advice. I am not your financial advisor. I am not your accountant. Hire professionals when it comes to all that stuff. I am merely your friend, speaking from some lived experience. I am your informal consigliere in this uh, matter. (laughs) And so when it comes to money, I have some really practical advice for you. And the entire philosophy, you could argue it's called get rich slow because I don't believe in get rich quick schemes. Number one, I could never afford them. And number two, they don't work. And number three, the only method that I know really comes down to a decade of discipline because that is, in my experience, what tends to work. And I've got some things I want to throw at you regarding that because I am going to walk you through this process uh, step by step. And I do believe this is life-changing advice. I want to come back to the podcast with a purely value-driven stream to kick things off as we move to the uh, last part of 2020. 20- Twenty, And I know it's been a minute since we've done a show, but I wanted to do something that I think is purely valuable, is great replay value for most of you. I could help you out in different stages of your journey. I will have to preface that this advice that I'm giving does require you to be physically capable and to um, not have severe problems in your life in terms of mental health or homelessness, because those are outlier situations that I don't really have practical advice for. My most practical advice in that situation is, one, I think it'd be very difficult to be listening to this program at that point just from access to resources. And number two, my advice in that situation would be you'd have to find someone who's lived your life and turned things around and do what they did or what they tell you to do. That would probably be the best thing in that situation as far as I'm concerned. So um, disclaimers and virtue signaling aside, let's move on to the actual meat and potatoes content of today's show. The fundamental thing that I think you need to understand about my life and my journey is that I did come from, uh, what someone might refer to as hard luck circumstances. Um, I did grow up in a single mother home, child of divorce, uh, oldest of three siblings, small military town, community college broke everything you can think of for the most part. Um, Aside from the fact that I had my health and the majority of my sanity and I had the support of a loving family. Every other advantage you could have in life, probably not available to me in that situation. Here's the good news. This is like when I was, tw- uh, when I was 13, which is 25 years ago. I'm 38 as of the making of this episode. I got into this thing called the internet 25 years ago. It was the very primitive internet. It was AOL. You guys remember when AOL... Netscape Navigator and Yahoo ruled the internet. And you remember when you had, uh, you know, 56K modems and dial up and you prayed that nobody knocked you offline by calling. Then you'd have to connect to AOL again. (laughs) You'd have have to go through that. So that was the internet I grew up with. I got into websites and coding at 13 years old, taught myself from scratch from what was available on the internet and from books, believe it or not. And so with the accesses uh, that the internet gives you, And what your local library, which is drastically underrated, even as a teenager, you could gain skills that 99% of the population doesn't have. Because what I think most of you do not know, by the way, the thesis of this entire episode is not, hey, just learn to code. That's not the point here. I'm using coding as just one example. There are several other skills. I mean, people obviously come to me um, largely for stuff around the, uh, the creator economy. And you could learn any number of skills that would make you creative and put you in a, in a great uh, position. You can learn writing. You can learn graphic design. You can learn video editing. You could learn coding. You could learn audio production. You could learn live streaming. You could learn photography. Some of these are more expensive. Some of these are less expensive in terms of the barrier to entry. But they are accessible skills that you can learn. And speaking of live stream, by the way, I just want to acknowledge a super chat donation that came through from Spring Boot Learning. Uh, really appreciate all the support. Just finished your book, Roberto. It's awesome. Mega congrats on making it a bestseller. Yes, for those of you who don't know, uh, my book, Create Something Awesome, is now a bestseller in Kindle and in paperback. It will be linked in the description and the show notes. Writing is an invaluable skill. In fact, when I first left my nine to five job, one of the first things that started paying reasonably well was my writing skills. A lot of you don't know that prior to becoming a bestseller best bestselling author this year, just this year, becoming a best-selling author, that I used to write for publications like How Design and Print Magazine, Creative Pro, Smart Hustle. I used to write for these publications and not just for their websites. I actually was printed in a couple of these publications as well. And so I was working as a freelance writer, no writing degree, no formal background or trading, just a couple of writing classes at the community college and lived experience. And so I was able to make about twelve to $1,500 a month as a freelance writer. Now, a lot of you are going to say, well, Roberto, that income would not change my life. I can't replace my nine to five job with that income. That's not really the point. Most of you shouldn't necessarily replace your nine to five job or shouldn't be in a rush to replace your nine to five job. Because for most of you, the journey to making a hundred thousand dollars a year will be easier if you don't quit your nine to five job, because you can be stacking income instead of replacing income. You can go to multiple income streams instead of having to replace one. My situations was my situation was different because I had a fire me or I quit type scenario. I had a, uh, what you might call a mental health crisis on the job and the job was intolerable for me at that point. Um, And I've been planning to leave for a while and I had my resignation in my desk. So that's a not common situation, I would say. But although more people are doing it and more people want to leave their nine to five job, for the far majority of you, if you want to get to $100,000 a year, keeping your 30 dollars to $50,000 a year income is a very healthy start for most of you to put yourself in that position. For a lot of you, the answer is not going to quit your job, become a freelancer, or become a YouTuber. For a lot of you, it's going to be that you do a side hustle like YouTube or freelancing, and you earn extra income so you have leverage so that you don't go to a $0 income and then you have the room to transition from a job that's underpaying you at 30 to 50,000 to move to a job that pays you 45 to 75,000 because you acquire new skills on the way that qualify you for a higher paying job. And so that's one of the secrets is if you can qualify for a higher paying job, that's going to go a long way. And again, the goal probably is to get to like maybe a $60,000 to $75,000 a year job initially. And then you can grind at something that you build up in terms of your multiple streams of income. And then that will close the gap and get you to a 100,000. And then you can make a choice. If the thing that you're doing can scale with more time, then you would start to say, okay, as long as you never changed your lifestyle and this new venture or set of ventures can replace your income and you never changed your lifestyle. Let's say you were making thirty dollars to $50,000 a year. And then let's say you went up to uh, 50, 60, or 75, whatever it is. If you never change living a thirty dollars to $40,000 a year's lifestyle, you're gonna have the leverage to quit the previous job if you can replace the income. If you, can, if you live a thirty dollars to $40,000 a year lifestyle and then you start a side business or a side hustle that somehow, some way gets itself to making 40 dollars $50,000 a year or $30,000, dollars but you know that if you put even just a little bit more time, it becomes forty dollars or fifty, dollars and you're sure of that. And you've been doing it long enough to guarantee that for the most part because I know nothing is 100% guaranteed, but for the most part then it makes sense to leave a 9 to 5 job where you're working 40 hours a week working 160 to 180 hours a month it makes sense at that point if you are already living off of 30,000 but you're making 40, 50,000 from the job if you can make 30 to 40,000 with this side venture and you're not increasing your lifestyle, even though you've had some years of making this or more than two years of making this, and you made extra money, and it got you to like you know, 60, 80K by doing the side hustle, but you're not spending 40 hours a week on the side hustle, it actually makes sense at that point to leave a nine to five job in theory. Go ahead and now put more time into scaling this, but you better be disciplined about it and it has to prove that it could scale with more time then it makes sense because people ask me all the time when should i quit my 9 to 5 job when should I? like it's not about when you can replace your income it's about if that income that you're making on the side can benefit truly benefit and scale from you having more time to put into it you also have to be willing to put more time into it because if you've been able to side hustle 20 hours a week and get to the income level of a um, of a forty hour a week job. The thing is, even if you got the other forty hours back, are you disciplined? Are you the type of person who can spend another twenty to forty hours a week on this side venture, or would that burn you out? So it's not just tactical; it is a mindset thing. It is a self awareness game. It is a mental health game because not all of you are going to be cut out to do the thing that you're doing 20 hours a week to make extra money, or even 10 hours a week extra money, a lot of you aren't ready or willing, even if you had the time, to commit to doing it 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week as a full-time thing. And you need to know whether that's true for you or not, and if that's where you are mentally and emotionally, if you have the capacity for that. Because that's what happens to a lot of people who decide that they're gonna become a YouTuber, a podcaster, a streamer, and they're going to leave the nine to five job, they realize they don't have the structure, discipline, systems, and mentality to treat it like a job and a career because they were doing it for fun. They liked doing it for fun and doing it for them is contingent on having fun. If you can't do it without needing it to be fun first, keep this in mind. I'm not saying it can never be fun, but if you need it to be fun first in order to do it, Maybe you don't bet your life on it. And that sounds harsh. That sounds like Roberta. You're telling people not to become a content creator not to become an entrepreneur. You're talking people out of doing what you're doing. I'm preparing you to understand that it's not all sunshine and rainbows and I don't want you to be a fake influencer as to smile on Instagram all the time and cry yourself to sleep at night because you can never be honest about your problems and how hard your life is and how you're not having fun anymore. And how challenging it is, because I think for a lot of people, they underestimate the emotional commitment that doing a venture of your own as a entrepreneur, freelancer, content creator, whichever path it is. I think that they underestimate it, no matter what. And we have a we have a great comment in the chat here, um, so I'm going to read it out loud for the audio listeners. This comes from Glue Guns and Roses. Hey, how's it going? A friend of the show, uh, somebody that I've coached with, and she says I think that it's a good idea to only live off of 30 to 40 percent of your net income, no matter the job. I agree with that. I'd agree with that a hundred percent. That no matter what you got going on, maybe you try to live off of you know 30 to 40 percent of that, which could be very difficult. Can be very difficult for a lot of people because that could be a lifestyle that they um, aren't super comfortable with. My advice also mostly is for people who are not going to try to live in New York or California, and I don't think it's worth it for most people not making six figures to try to live in New York and California. If they weren't already born there, it, it doesn't make much sense, uh, not with remote work and everything you could be doing and how that money could work. It just doesn't make much sense to me uh, to go that route, but to each their own. Teach their own. Uh, what I will say and what I would tell you about this is that, from a very practical standpoint, because we will get into, well, how do you build the income streams, Roberto? How do you build a business? I will literally give you a $100,000 business model before the end of this show. I promise you that. I promise you that much. Um, it may not be as difficult as you're thinking. There are limited examples and scopes of my experience in which you build a type of business that makes sense for this but it's mostly going to be a client services business but the rea- the reliable answer for a lot of this is this also mostly applies to single people this mostly applies to single people uh, for most people their most reasonable path to $100, a $100,000 year income is a dual income via via a relationship via marriage in most cases a that's a 100,000 both of you make $50,000 a year congratulations here's a 1, 1,000 um, a year income. And now you can live off of 30 to 40% of that, have a very good lifestyle, have a lot of disposable income left over to uh, build assets, build wealth, invest everything you need to do. That's what most people's situation in theory is if they're a hundred thousand dollar a year household. If they're a hundred thousand dollar a year household, it's two incomes, it's two incomes. And that's how it goes, right? The problem is that not everybody will then live within the frugality stuff, will not do the investment part, will not do the home ownership part, et cetera, et cetera. Cause it becomes, oh, we have all this money, let's improve and increase the lifestyle. Let's live off of 50, 60, 70 percent of that income. And that's that becomes lifestyle creep, lifestyle inflation. Lifestyle inflation is a bad idea. Uh, If your goal is independence and freedom, it's a bad idea because the cheaper you live, the easier you can access freedom. The cheaper you live, the easier it is to buy out your time. Buy out your time. So think about it from this perspective. Most of you, you are going to work a nine-to-five job. You're employed. What's your yearly contract look like? Great. Okay. So your yearly contract basically is 40 hours a week and it's uh, 50 weeks out of the year, you maybe get two weeks of vacation or something like that. Maybe, maybe, uh, you may not. Whatever, whatever your vacation days look like, however that structure is. Whatever your yearly salary is, whatever the calculation of your yearly salary is, that's the contract you'd have to buy yourself out of. That's the amount of money that buying back 100% ownership of yourself comes down to. I want you to let that marinate for a second. Whatever your current employment contract is, you're giving up 50% of your waking hours to your employer. You've auctioned off 50% of your waking hours five days a week to your employer, which means of your waking hours you basically have auctioned off 40% of your waking life to your employer. That's the vested interest they have in control over your life. So in order to have true freedom, you have to buy them out. You have to buy out their shares. You have to buy out their shares. So what that means is this. Because let's do the math. I'll do the math for you. Let's assume for whatever reason that you have a $50,000 a year salary. You have a $50,000 a year salary. So that means that if we're going to do percentages, 10% Of your waking hours is valued of your life. And again, this is just a weird way to think of this, right? Is valued if you have, you know, if you have a $50,000, you know, a year salary, and we're saying that this is worth, you know, 40% of your waking hours because we did the calculation of how many hours you have in a day, times a week, etc., cetera, et cetera, times a year, etc. cetera, et cetera, right? Okay. So the issue here is this. Relatively speaking, that means that you already, at a 10% increase, times two, If you can make a $50,000 a year salary for your employer, your current level of ability already dictates that you have the capacity if you were to monetize all of your time, which I'm not suggesting you do. But just think, hear me out, hear me out. It means that if you monetized all of your waking time, you already could in theory be worth over $100,000 a year in your current level of ability and skill. But what that doesn't take into account, what that doesn't take into account is that your employer already sells your skill for more than they pay you for, which means the market values your skill level even higher than that, which means that a reasonable employer wants to make considerably more for your skills and ability than they're paying you for at any given time. So one, if you had complete control over your time, especially considering that for most of us here, I think most of us will agree that most of the tasks we've ever done as an employee could have probably been accomplished with 20 to 25 hours of work, but 15 to 20 hours of our week was wasted with nonsense, busy work, and things we don't specialize in. So it doesn't matter. Things we really don't even count in our job description, so on and so forth. So the thing is you could accomplish the outcome in probably half the time, and therefore you would it, be worth double the money if you were only doing the task that you are really being paid for. So that's another way to think about it. And there's a markup on your value when it's sold by the employer for that outcome. So we already know that if you're a thirty dollars to $50,000 a year employee, that if we take productivity- and true market value of your skills into account based on outcomes rather than time that you probably are in fact worth at least $100,000 a year. So when you change your mindset, it makes a big difference. And I'll give you a real world example. I'll give you a real world example of this. I worked at a company um, that did web hosting, web design and helped online business owners. Big shock that that's what Roberto did when he worked in corporate America, right? So there was a point where between that and the fact that every employee, even a manager like me, had to do customer service at some point. I was handling tech issues for online business owners and we were getting paid services for that, so on and so forth. There were retainer clients. There was all of these stuff. Sometimes I'd be servicing customers and we'd be charging them hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, um, and I'd help like, you know, dozens of customers a month, sometimes dozens in a week. So again, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm helping 50 to hundred customers. And almost all of them are small business owners with internet-based businesses. Wait a minute. Again, this is years and years and years. This is more than a decade ago. This is a decade ago. So I'm like, wait, 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 wait. So it occurs to me that I'm like, wait, I could just help online business owners with their businesses And with their problems with their websites, their marketing, their design, their SEO, all these, I'm like, wait a minute, I can help small business owners with this. And I could just charge a monthly retainer to clients and I could just put four or five clients on my roster and make more money than I make at the nine to five job. What am I doing? I could work less hours because I could just do their stuff and I could troubleshoot and I could support clients and I can do stuff. And again, I didn't poach any customers for the business that was in my plan and I wanted a different clientele anyway. I wanted a different clientele anyway with remote work, this seems somewhat obvious, but I'm going to give you all right now, let's skip to something juicy. Let's say, let's say you wanted to start a business and you wanted to make real money and you wanted to kind of almost have a way to replace your income from your nine to five job. Okay. So your nine to five job, if you have a $50,000 a year salary, basically comes out to $4,166 a month. Let's just say it's $4,200 a month. Now, if you become self-employed, you need to make more than that because you have to cover your own expenses, your self-employment tax, your insurance, your tax rate goes up, all these things. So let's say what you need to make is $5,000 a month. If you need to make five four 4500 to $5,000 a month, here's what I think is practical. You make two packages. This is note-taking time for the podcast audience. This is note-taking time. You make two packages for a service-based business you make a $1,500 a month package and you make a $2,500 a month package. And these are your two packages that you make for people, okay? Now, you have to figure out, well, what am I gonna offer somebody for those prices that's a good deal for them that is reasonably priced? What am I possibly going to offer somebody, I'll tell you a good one that would make some sense. If it were me, if it were me and I needed to make sixty, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year upwards, here's what I would do. I would have a video editing service exclusively for podcasters. Why would I have a video editing service exclusive for podcasters? Number one, I would pick and network with podcasters who make money, have sponsored content, upload every week without fail. I would pick podcasters who make money, people who upload every week, people who are strong in things like entrepreneurship, all these things, but they'd like to do more and they're not as technical and tech savvy and they'd like to finally outsource their editing. And so I would do that. Okay, now in terms of where to find these people, there's all kinds of ways to find people. LinkedIn, go to conferences, go to events. Patty Galloway started something called ytjobs.co, I believe it is now, which helps people find jobs working for YouTubers, helps YouTubers find freelancers, things like that. This is not a scenario where you go to Fiverr. This entire game is prospecting and networking for this type of thing if you were gonna do it, because we're not talking about playing for small stakes here. So if I were going to do a video podcasting editing service, I would have two packages and one is $1,500 a month and one is $2,500 a month. What would I offer for that? In both cases, I would be editing interview podcast for people. I'd be editing interview podcast for people. And in both packages, you get up to, up to, five full episodes edited every single month in a timely fashion and I would also be capable if they film with if they film with uh, a guest. In the $2500 package, I would offer multi-cam editing if they have a guest as long as they meet the requirements that I have, I would do multicam editing for those $2,500. And I would edit for them to where they have 30 pieces of content that they can use for YouTube shorts, Instagram reels, and TikTok. So they could have daily shorts content if they want and need it. So they would have that. And from every episode that I edit of that full um, session, whether it's four or five of those interview sessions, I would edit them to where you also are getting like three clips from your episode that might be up to eight minutes of just a segment that you might want. You get three of those from every episode. I'll find three segments to cut for you in every episode. So that means 12... To 15 deliverables of clips, 30 deliverables of shorts, and you get four to five deliverables of full multicam edits, $2,500. That would be the business that I build for that package. And then for the $1,500 package, for the $1,500 package, you'd get your four to five episodes and you'd get three shorts and one clip from each episode and I would have a la carte packages so that you can add on more shorts and more clips. And that incentivizes someone to move from 1500 to the $2,500 package. If they want more of those things. And what I would do is I would have solo a la carte individual episode edits Available that I could charge people for, those would be okay, I'll edit no multicam, no multicam, and I will edit an individual episode of a podcast for you for you know four hundred dollars and I'll do a multicam edit for seven fifty. And so what happens is it makes the bulk pricing more attractive but it leaves me options for people who just need one job done. And those a la carte individual edits don't come with the clips, don't come with the shorts. So it makes the packages more attractive. By the way, you could fudge or move these to where you edit one full episode. I think $750 is okay, but if you want to make it clean or something like that, if you want a very clean pricing, you could go to something Like, okay, 500 and 750 could be your prices if you want to keep it more clean. I like the 400 and 750, but to each their own. My point is you could go four and six, even four and six could do it. All right, four and six because the multicam is not that bad or not that big a deal. So you could go 400 and 600 for solo edits, multicam versus no multicam, and you could go packages 1500 and 1600. You can add some a la carte pricing for repurposing a certain amount of people's shorts from existing footage, all that. Now you have a full editing service suite. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. For somebody smart and who knows what they're doing and is capable and competent, servicing either of these packages, even for all the videos we talked about involved, is less than 40 hours a week worth of work. So that means you can take on up to four clients a month in either package and be successful. You can take three clients in either of your two monthly packages and be successful and not work round the clock 40 hours a week. However, in your own business, if you've bought back your time from an employer initially to get off the ground, be willing to work 50 to 60 hours a week to get off the ground. But the actual editing work It's probably not going to take more than 20 to 30 hours a week or sorry, per month, per client rather is a better way to put per month, per client for the amount of editing work. You have to figure that out. You have to figure that out. So that would be a video editing business and that would get you to easily making under the right conditions. You'd be making, let's say you had two clients of each package. So if you had two clients of each package, You'd have two retain, you'd have four retainers, right? So you'd have five thousand from the big package, and you'd have three thousand from the smaller package. You have eight thousand dollars a month. Eight thousand dollars a month puts you just under a six figure business. So four clients, and you make about what ninety six thousand dollars a year. And then you could do one off projects, and that'll make up the other four thousand. Or you could also do some other hustle, and then make up the other 4,000, put you at the 100,000, just like that. However, here's what the smart person would do. A smart person in this situation would hire an assistant editor that works for them full-time and pays them out of one of their bigger clients. But what they would do is they would have them take on the two smaller clients and you keep the two biggest clients happy yourself. And so all of a sudden, what happens is in that scenario, you're paying somebody, you know, like 30, 40K a year. You just got back a bunch of your time. You're training them up. Now you have the room to go out and get another two clients or another four clients. Now you can go ahead and you can profit and net over you know, 100,000 even with a staff and then you go out and you get another employee, put them on staff and so now what you have is you have maybe 10 clients and so you have 10 clients, five of them are probably paying you the 2,500, okay? So you're making six figures from your five biggest clients right off the bat. Um. Well, no, like, Yeah, you're making six figures from your big because you're making uh, about 144,000 from the five biggest clients, and then those um, $1,500 a month clients, you have five of them. The five of them are paying uh, $7,500 a year. So times 12, that's $90,000 a year. That's gonna cover your team. So that covers your team of two editors. So now you have two editors that each can work like you. Each of those two editors should probably be handling a workload of four clients each by themselves. You, they should ha- uh, handle three small accounts, like two or and two big accounts, or two small accounts and two big accounts. You should probably prioritize keeping the biggest accounts happy, something like that, or give them each one big account, and you handle you know, uh, three of the big accounts and one of the smaller ones, and that makes your life easier. And now you have this tremendous situation. You could take it even further, by the way, because you don't have to settle for two if between having five clients that make you 90,000 and another five clients that make you about a roughly 150,000, what you could do is keep less money. You could go down to instead of making over six figures, You could just go ahead and say, you know what? I'm going to pay myself $80,000 a year. And then I'm going to have a team of four editors that each pay $45,000 a year. So that takes up about $180,000 of this money. I'm going to pay myself $80,000 a year. And then all of a sudden, okay, that quarter mil or so, So a year business is doing really well and you could stop working most of the clients and focus on the training, logistics, quality control, pitch in, grow the business, or move on to another venture now because now you have a salary and you have capital and you built it starting from scratch. Again, this is practical. So So someone can do this. This is not an unrealistic thing. Someone could do this. Here's another option. It's like, okay, Roberto, that's a very specific business model. Here's another one. If you learned coding like I did, you can go ahead and you can say, great, I build Shopify stores for people and I handle all of your graphics for you and I do all of this stuff for you and I support your Shopify store backend with all of your technical difficulties and I have two packages. Um for and it's a year long and it's a year long commitment and I have two packages and I work on your shopify stuff in the back end for you and help you for a year and you could say okay I have two packages 5000 and 10000 5000 and 10000 so now if you want to make you know a certain amount of money you get 10 clients of either package and you're good to go and now you're making a certain amount of money and if you can if you're capable of that and you get one person to work with you, maybe they don't even do the website stuff. Maybe they do the admin work for you. Your life just got easier. And most of it is, most of what they're paying for is the setup. But what they're happy with is maybe the maintenance. And maybe what the deal with the maintenance is, is, hey, I'll support your stuff up front for these big package prices for a year. Or maybe what you sell is six months of support but then they pay a retainer for support after. And so what's that reason for doing that? Well, I'll tell you. The reason for doing that is let's say that what you do is you have these two packages and it's $5,000 and $10,000 a month and the support that comes with them is six months of support, but the support after the six months is contractually $500 a month of tech support. And admin work up to, but only up to a certain amount of hours per month of work you will do. You put boundaries in place. You put limits in place. Here's the good news. You do that. You have 10 clients. Great. You give all of them a maximum of, let's say, up to five hours a month of maintenance task that they get. They all get to have like five hours a month of maintenance task and that's it. Or they pay extra, $500 a month. But they get that tech support when they need it and you're kind of at their beck and call for up to five hours at a time. And they can put in tickets with you. Why would we do this and set them up on these six month uh, retainers? It's very simple. We do 10 of these in a year. We now have recurring income from 10 people of $500 a month for handling their support. We've only sold 50 hours of our time for the entire month doing this. That's it. Which means we're now at $60,000 of retainer income on top of any of our upfronts on all of our sales, which means our sales uh, are 50 to 100,000 potentially because of 10 clients, 5,000, $10,000 package, on web for these Shopify stores. By the way, it could be Shopify stores. It could be Kajabi stores and online courses. So it could be either. But those are your two best bets because why? Those people make money. They have disposable income. So all of a sudden, you have a business model that's scalable, has built-in recurring income of about 60000 a year uh, because of 10 clients, up to 10 clients there. And you have the upfront money, $50,000 to 100000 from the 5000 $10,000 packages with six months of maintenance built in. And then the recurring charges start after that. So if we count the recurring charges starting after six months, technically the year one, year one, it's only an additional $30,000, uh, but in year two, it's an additional $60,000. And now you can get, so again, it's about contracts. And so now this is better than a regular employer and it's less time and it's less time intensive And so this is practical. This is how we build online businesses. So, okay, Roberto, that's video editing and web design. But those are skills you can learn for free. You can learn them for free. And I'm saying specifically exclusively you live in the domain of learning everything about Shopify, everything about Kajabi. You learn video editing for podcasting if that's the direction you go. Video editing in general. What skills do you need for that? You have to learn multicam editing. You have to learn some audio processing. You have to learn audio syncing. You have to learn color correction and color grading. You have to learn general video editing and cuts, basic graphics uh, for motion graphics, not nothing advanced. You probably don't need to learn After Effects or anything like that. These are all skills that someone can learn proficiently enough to charge money from in 90 days of extra work on your weekends of learning these skills and getting competent in them. You don't have to be a master to do these things. So all of a sudden, it makes perfect sense what I'm saying in terms of these particular Uh, these particular gigs. And so that would be with uh, video editing and web design services. You could obviously build packages in a similar fashion when it comes to graphic design. Put yourself on retainer. Say, hey, I will do X amount of graphics and requests that you need up to this amount. Come up with, again, once again, you can come up with a $2,500 a month package. You get... Four clients, you're making ten thousand a month. So that's the practical thing. That's the thing that makes sense. Um, I don't love questions like this, but I'm gonna answer this one anyway. So Miss Robinson asks, what business idea would you give a single mom of four, one special needs, with no family support and twenty hours a week to spare? To be honest, I probably wouldn't recommend. And wouldn't be the person to recommend a business idea for a single mom of four. I'm the child of a single mom of four. Um, I don't really have a great recommendation for that. I would ask a single mom of four or five that started a business, what is practical for her? Because I don't know your situation and your circumstances. I don't know your situation and circumstances. The answer for my family in that situation was for me as the oldest son to figure it out, build my business you know, over the years. And to help my mom and to support the family and to do that. That was the answer I came up with. I don't necessarily have an answer for a single mother of four with special need, with one child having special needs. It's a very particular circumstance. I don't have a, a, a quick fix for that or a business model. I don't know that there is one. I'm not saying that's hopeless. I'm not saying that you can't do something with your 20 hours of week, but I just don't know what to do about your situation, because I don't know you like that to give you that kind of advice. What I can do is I can tell you the mathematical things in business and time and money and what's applicable, skills that can be learned over 90 days. And some people can apply it to their life and some people can't. Some people have challenges that they don't want to disclose or share or publicly or privately. And so again, I don't know that there's an answer or a fix for that one. I would say that getting support from family, getting support from your community goes a long way because that's a lot of stuff to overcome in general. It's a lot of stuff to overcome in general. In a situation like this, elevating yourself in your current career probably has the most advantages versus trying to trade the extra time per se because I think that there's resource issues. I think there's a limit to what one person can do I think there's a limit to what one person can do. I think the situation with kids that, you know, building a business on the side isn't most people's best option when they have kids, especially as a single parent. As a single, you know, so growing up in a single parent home, I can tell you that it's probably not always the best option to trade time away from the family. Um, so the thing I would say is the most reasonable thing is whatever your current job or career is, is to make more money in your 40-hour-a-week job instead of selling the extra 20 hours away from your family in that situation. Because I could tell you the thing that's the most beneficial from a child's perspective in a single-parent home is to have more time with your parent. More resources is great. Certainly helps. And where needed, absolutely. But as the child in that situation, I would tell you that from my experience as a child, the thing that has the most impact is more time, more help with school, school work, more encouragement, more being there when things get hard or when it's a bad day at school probably makes a tremendous difference. I have no real recommendation for selling off the other 20 hours versus that. I would say in your situation that you probably need more help. You probably need more people around you that can help. And I hope that that situation improves. But like I said, the reason I don't like questions like that is because I'm useless. Look, look, because I, 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 and you know, um, people talk all this stuff about gurus all the time. There are like a lot, of, there's like a hundred scenarios where Roberto's advice is crap. I'm useless. And I don't know anything what I'm talking about. Why? Because I don't live your life. There's like a hundred scenarios you can find where my advice is absolutely useless. But a lot of people will go out of their way to contrive scenarios where advice given to them is actually absolutely useless instead of saying, is there anything of value that I can extract from this even if it's not an end-all be-all solution to my problems? And so, you know, I would say that If you are healthy, single, and you have no kids, there's a 99.9% chance that you should just take my advice. But outside of that context, you can take me with all the salt in the world. You can take me not with a grain of salt. You can take me with an entire pillar, an entire mountain of salt, if you want to do that. And I will never be offended by that. Never, never. But what I will say is that my advice probably... If you're, if you're like, if you have massive mental health issues, you have massive, crippling physical disabilities, you have multiple children, you're a single parent, you have no family support, don't find advice from me. Find someone in your situation with your circumstances that's overcome them, and that person can give you advice. You don't need to listen to me about anything that's not technical. You want to find out how a camera works from me? Great. Great. You want to know how to make a thumbnail from me? Great. You want to know what microphone to buy? Great. The limits to my advice for anyone that has hard luck situations that are different than my hard luck situations. Single parent home, but you're the child in that situation and you want to help the family. You can take my advice. Most likely you can take my advice as long as you're healthy otherwise. You know? You're a person of color and you want to make it in America. You're from an immigrant family or immigrant culture. You can probably take my advice if all other conditions, like you're, again, physically and mentally healthy and capable. That would probably make most sense. But if you have massive physical and or mental uh, conditions that exist outside of the fact that like I've suffered with depression ADHD and anxiety, if you, you know, in those situations with a grain of salt, you can take some of my advice. If you have mental health issues, they exist largely outside of that. You have to deal with that first. You have to deal with that first. If you have a massive, you know, physical issue, my advice probably doesn't work for you. Somebody else's advice is probably much better, probably much better. Who's gone through that understands it has lived it knows the challenges inside and out. My circumstances are have been not perfect. I didn't come from any real type of privilege. The extent of my luck and privilege: born in America, my parents, you know, um, are from you know immigrants Panama. I was born in America. I was born in the 1980s, so maybe you could argue I was born in the right time. Great. So right place, right time is America in the last 30 to 40 years. If you are born in the last 30, 40, 20, 10 years, if you were born after 1980 in America, right place, right time, that's about it. You were born healthy, great. But that's the extent of my luck. My, the extent of my luck is probably that I was born in America in the last 40 years healthy. And that's the extent of it. Outside of that of the maybe 12 flavors of ways that you could be disadvantaged, I probably am eight of them. So I'm proof that you can work with the cards you are dealt and do the best you can with what you have where you are. That situation becomes compounded and much more challenging if you reach a situation where you um, either have massive disability, a criminal record, an addiction of some kind, um, you become a single parent, you know, you have uh, you become physically disabled. Those situations escalate the level of difficulty to a place that maybe my advice isn't reasonable anymore. That's the exclusionary criteria, I think in applying the advice of me or any successful person that does not share your background and doesn't share your struggles. And so I would say you always, if you're going to ask for advice in a specific circumstance that's very difficult, ask it of somebody that shares or has shared that backstory. Not everyone's open about their backstory. Not everyone wants to tell their struggles. A lot of people get told their story is a BS backstory or challenged on their truth and whether it ever happened, blah, blah, blah. If you can find someone who publicly acknowledges having your background, learn from the person that has your background. That's probably your best opportunity to figure out a game plan, a game plan that's then reasonable to uh, change your life. Um, And so I think that that's the most reasonable thing I can tell someone in that situation. Because it makes the most sense. It makes the most sense to, to do that. What I will say for most people, most people's best thing in terms of getting their life together starts with skills that allow them to be gainfully employed. So I would say everyone's foundation is probably, like I said, because I told everybody, oh, and maybe the answer is not to cut quit your job. My answer is in my life, the situation was, okay. If I'm not going to work for a company anymore, I'm going to take the same skills and systems and tools that I used at the company and go out into the real world and get my own clients. But I had the skills to work from, and I didn't learn all of them on the job. I learned most of them on the internet for $0 and from books is also why I wrote one. So I learned from the internet and from books. And by the way, if you can't afford to buy my book, anybody, go to the public library, ask them to order it in and request it. You can look up the ISBN number for my book on Amazon. You can request it into your local library and you can read it for free. Library has an app called Libby and you could read it there for free. You could do that. You can order it into your local bookstore, Barnes and Noble, sit there with a coffee and read it for free every week. So you can get access to information. And that's not just applicable to my book. That's to every book. That's to every book. Every book that you need or want to learn from, you can do it for $0 if you're struggling or you have to, if you want to acquire knowledge that you think will help you, whatever that knowledge looks like, whatever it looks like. Now, what I'll say is the foundation for most people is stable income and employment and getting a job that pays Twenty-four to thirty-five thousand dollars a year—that does not require specialized education—and those jobs do exist, and they're out there. There are jobs you can get um, if it's possible, and you can do it, and you can manage it, and you can work full time. Uh, right now, I think there are a lot of jobs that pay about um, about fifteen dollars an hour, even in the South. Their place is right here. There are companies, and not everyone wants to work for these companies, but most, a lot of these companies now, a lot of these megacorps, a lot of these megacorps pay $15 to $18 an hour now, starting because of the hiring crisis. Because of the hiring crisis, most places pay $15 to $18 an hour. You may not think that's a lot, but if you can do the work to become a full-time employee, and it may not sound satisfying. I know there's a lot of rhetoric right now on the internet and on Reddit and on Twitter and on TikTok about... You know, quiet quitting and all this stuff and everything like that. Look, if you are struggling right now, take advantage of all these kids who don't want to work. Go in there, show up early, leave late, be the person that gets $15 to $18 an hour, goes from part-time to full-time. My youngest sister, who has a tremendous work ethic, she, if she wanted to, can just be a student and just work for me part-time. She's working full-time. She got a job that's paying her an hour, she's finishing up college. And the thing is, I told her that I am willing to help her and she didn't have to go out and do that. She wanted to go out and do that. She wants to be independent. She wants to have money of her own in that way outside of working for my family business and outside of her school stuff. And I'm not saying everyone's in the position to do that. If you're not, it's different. I don't really have great advice for you then. But if you can work and you're willing to, right now, there's a hiring shortage. Right now, you can get $15 to $18 and you can be the employee that gets to go not be seasonal anymore, becomes full-time employee, becomes on staff and gets the 40 hours a week. And then you're making like 30 grand a year or more. And if you're making 30 grand a year or more, and now you have stable, gainful employment, you can stabilize your lifestyle. If you can do that, then it means that on your weekends, not your nights, but on your days off, Maybe now you have a little bit of extra money to invest into a side hustle, to invest into a YouTube channel, to invest in the video editing software that lets you do that business on the side, to uh, you know invest the money into the camera gear and do the photography business on the side on the weekends. Maybe you have the extra money to take an extra course at the community college and learn a new skill, because you now have the foundation of a stable life and gainful employment. And the thing is, if you stick with that for a while. Maybe you get a raise, and if you don't increase your lifestyle, now you have even more disposable income. Maybe now you have an emergency fund from that or from the side hustle. If the side hustle can even make you an extra $500 a month, you can build an emergency fund very rapidly. You also can build the money to start putting into retirement if you want to max out your Roth IRA. If anyone ra- maxes out their Roth IRA from the age of 30 to the age of 65, and if all they did with their Roth IRA, which will be taxed free at their retirement age, if the, all anyone did was that from ages 30 to ages 65, they retire with a million dollars. But granted, they have to make that last for the remainder of their years if that's all they did, if that's all they did, but it would be tax free. And it's a compound interest calculator. Yes, the stock market's down right now. No, this is not investing advice. But here's the problem that people don't realize. The S&P 500 for my entire lifetime, the entire 38 years that I have been alive, the entire 60 years that my mother has been alive, has never had a decade where the annualized returns were less than 8%. Never. There's been down years, but never down decades, ever. In the long run, for retirement, it is the safest bet in the universe you could ever make. Compound interest always works, either for you or it works against you. The banks bet on compound interest because that's what your credit cards and your loans and your mortgage all is about that compound interest from them. So they all benefit from compound interest. Why aren't you? And they don't need to be a lot of compound interest. That's why your interest rates on a mortgage and everything like that, they make – they make hundreds of thousands of dollars on a 3% interest rate. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars on a 3% interest rate if the loan is big enough. If the principal of the loan is big enough, they make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of that, okay? Over a long enough period of time, 3%. Now, for you, if you start small, even with a dollar, and you put 500 into the S&P 500 in your Roth IRA, not financial advice, talk to your CPA, accountant, whoever, And you did that from ages 30 to 65. Let's say you start late in life, ages 30 to 65. Then that's a million plus dollars that's tax-free to help you live off of when you're older. Now, when you can't afford to do that right away, my answer to that is a side hustle because $500 a month sounds like an extravagant amount of money, but on the internet, it's not. On the internet... It's not an extravagant amount of money to make. You just have to do the upfront work to build the things that will make that. And I will give you a primary example. So my book that I self-published, because I self-published, the Kindle ebook makes me almost $7 for every copy sold. It's $9.99. I have a 70% royalty with Amazon, so I make almost $7 for every sale. The paperback which also is out, is $14.99. Now, paperbacks cost upfront money to print and to make and to distribute. So I make about $6.50 for every sale of the paperback book when Amazon sells them. If I order the books in my own hand, have them shipped to me from Amazon, they're about $3.50 a piece, which means when I sell them for $15 plus tax, I make $10 from every sale when I sell them by hand. So, that means once you write a book, which does take time, takes you months to write a book, in my case it took me a year to write and publish self-publishing, but think about it. If I sell let's say you know, 10 copies of my book a day, I can make $60 a day. If I sell 10 copies a day, 10 copies. Now I worked at a bookstore, by the way, for a living. It's not the hardest thing in the world to sell 10 copies of your book every day. When you decide, okay, I wrote a book. Now I'll do a podcast. Now I will do YouTube. Now I will do TikTok. Now I will do Instagram, whatever. You have every piece of content you make as a pipeline to sell your book. And that's not even including an audiobook. If you record an audiobook, you make... Probably ten dollars per sale of every audiobook, and that's on top of the Audible bounties that you can make, and so you can make even more off the F- Audible bounties that people sign up to Audible for free. And if you use your own audiobook link referral from that, and they buy your audiobook with the bounty, you make like seventy five dollars a sale. So again, there's all these things, and that's just book writing. This is not counting the ways that you can make money online. Freelancing, you can make you could make $20, 15 30 a day just doing usertesting.com and doing user testing. And they'll pay you. I think they direct deposit to Amazon. So you can make $500 extra a month multiple ways online. You can learn some basic graphic design skills. You can learn how to help people uh, make thumbnails. You can learn how to help people make banners, make logos, do all kinds of things. I did these things. And you can make $500 extra a month. If you make $500 extra a month on top of a nine to five job with a side hustle, as long as you don't upgrade your lifestyle, the $500 a month builds the retirement fund. The retirement fund means you have a guaranteed future when you're older or something to leave to your kids. So, um, and yes, the podcast will have audio versions that come out. They come out a couple of days later and the audio, there will be an audio book for the book. The book will ultimately have a audio book that will come out before the end of the year, and audio versions of the podcast come out a few days later, usually no later than a week later. Um, but what I'm getting at is making extra $500 a month, as long as you do the upfront work to build up to that, even if it takes six months to a year to build up to it, is manageable and doable, And it's potentially life-changing money to get $500 extra a month to put aside for your retirement as long as you stabilize your life to where you don't feel so much stress to say, I need to take that $500 and I need to make my lifestyle better because I'm suffering or I'm struggling. As long as you're not suffering and struggling and you don't need that $500 to improve your life so that you feel better about yourself, you can put it towards your future. You can put it towards your future and you can have a great future. You can build wealth you can build wealth if you don't need a lifestyle that exceeds $35,000 a year of lifestyle if you don't need a lifestyle that exceeds $35,000 a year of lifestyle you can build wealth if you can if you happen to be in a situation in life I'm single but if you find a partner and you have a good partner and you work together and both of you make 35k a year y'all can have a very good life by not changing your lifestyle to exceed maybe 40 or 45,000 now that y'all combine have 70 and now you can build wealth. The problem is most people, they change their lifestyle the minute they make extra money. The minute they make any extra money, their lifestyle increases to fill the increase in money. That's what happens to people. When you don't do that, now there are circumstances where I understand it's justified, But there needs to be an upper limit to how much you do, and you have to look at reducing lifestyle and reducing lifestyle costs. That's frugality. That's what worked for me in a lot of cases. Now, there were some lifestyle creeps and upgrades I had to do because they weren't unreasonable to not do, especially at a certain income level. That's different. But there are things I'm actively doing right now, right now, to where I want to reduce my income requirement and cost of living so I can reduce the amount of money I need to spend. Now, in my case, big portion of that comes to taking care of other people. But outside of that, in terms of what I do for myself, I try to keep it at a reasonable, very low level. Very reasonable, very low level. I'm trying to get it lower. Trying to get it lower. I don't drive a sports car. I don't drive a sports car. I drive a Nissan. I drive a Nissan. I don't have a Tesla like all the other big YouTubers. I drive a Nissan. So again, I think you have to look at this mathematically and clinically and you have to budget. I have another math calculation for you. If you budget $50 a week that you aren't going to spend and you did that for a decade, just $50 a week less spending in 10 years is $26,000. Anywhere in America that's not New York and not California, that's enough for a 5% down payment on a house, a reasonable house. In some cases, a 10% down payment, but you don't need a 10% down payment. I got into my house with a 5% down payment as a first-time homeowner, and I negotiated the seller um, contributing $7,500 to closing cost. And I got in at a like 3.375 interest rate, historical low interest rate at the time. And so I got into a house that if in Georgia, if I hadn't done that last year, my rent would have increased by five to $600 a month more than what my mortgage is by now because of inflation. So by me becoming a homeowner last year in October, I actually managed to reduce my inflation burden on my house payment, my rent payment, whatever you want to call it, which means that I saved hundreds of dollars a month because I, I, by getting into a mortgage, you could think of it as rent control because my, my mortgage rate doesn't go up. But if I were renting, my cost of living would increase because of this inflation, and it wouldn't be by a small number. So year-over-year inflation, year-over-year inflation, it's more expensive every year that you're not a homeowner. It's more expensive every year that you're not a homeowner. What you give up to be a homeowner is not having $20,000 worth of stuff. A lot of people, not everybody, not everyone, but a lot of people, they can look around at their purchases of the last 5 or 10 years and find $20,000 worth of stuff. Five to 10 years adds up. The time will pass anyway. And you can find $20,000 worth of stuff that you've bought in a 10-year period, whether you realize it or not. You can find $20,000 worth of eating out that you did over a 10-year period. The time will pass anyway. But that year-over-year inflation is what really eats your money. So when you lock into permanent things like a mortgage so that the rate is not going to change, your cost is not going to change, you actually are hedging against inflation in that way. When you pay off your car, you're hedging against a, a a cost that is depleting because your money is worth less and less and less every year. So the sooner you pay off a car instead of always getting a new one or this or that, you're better off. So ownership of these things are important okay, generating new sources of income and increasing your income itself, not through investments, not your net worth through investments, but just increasing your income by having side hustles and other ways and other income sources. If you can increase your income every year, you don't have to double your income every year. What if you just increased your income to exceed inflation every year? What if you just increased your income by 20% every year. What if you just increase your income by 20% every year through your side hustles? Think about it like this, because we're not talking about a lot. Let's say you're making $35,000 a year. Increasing your income is making another $7,000 a year. Sounds like a lot, but it's actually only you making just under $585 extra, less than $600 extra every month. $600 extra every month, that's $20 a day, my friend. That's $20 extra a day, my friend. Do you know what $20 extra a day is? $20 extra a day is if you write a book, $20 extra a day is cool. Sell four or five books every day. Sell four or five books every day. If you have t-shirts or hoodies that you did for $0 with like Spreadshop or Shopify, whatever, it's okay, sell three to five t-shirts or hoodies from your print-on-demand store every day and this is the side hustle money that that's what it is right then and there. That's your increase. Make a $20 downloadable asset, digital product and sell one a day, just one a day. Do one a day. And at, speaking of the book and the audiobook, Yes, Michael, I am. We'll do a dedicated podcast about the book because I know a lot of people have questions about the book. So I'll answer those. Um, I will be narrating. That's why it's taking so long. If I wasn't narrating the audiobook, it would be done already. But I'm narrating the audiobook. I know all of you would want to hear my voice, especially as podcast listeners, for the book Create Something Awesome How Creators Are Profiting from Their Passion, the Creator Economy. I'm audio narrating the book myself. I'm following all of Amazon's requirements for that, which actually are pretty easy considering my podcasting gear. And it's actually um, kind of cool to see what the back end process for this is. So um, I will be audio narrating the book. But yeah, there are all kinds of things that you could be doing to make an extra 20, 30, $50 a day, make an extra 500 to $1,000 a month. 500 to $1,000 a month is life-changing money. That's it. It's life-changing money but it has to be deployed in changing your life in a meaningful way. And that's not buying more things. See, people make an extra $500 to $1,000 a month or an extra two or $3,000 in a year, and you know what they do? They buy more things. They buy more things, and that's the problem. If you don't buy more things, it does change your life because here's what changes your life. Changing your life is owning assets and having a retirement account. Changing your life is becoming a homeowner. Changing your life is eliminating debt. Changing your life is not buying an Xbox, not buying a big screen TV, not buying a nice handbag to treat yourself, not buying a nice pair of Jordans to treat yourself, not buying a new car to impress people, but buying a car that is going to break down less, cause you less stress and not mess with your money by breaking down. That's a reasonable in repairing your car, fixing your car or buying a car that doesn't break down is always a good use of money. That's always going to be a good use of money. I have no issue with buying a car for safety and reliability reasons. None whatsoever. That's why I traded mine in and I got a good deal for it. Okay. Fine. Fine. If there's something that is a health problem in your household, and you need to buy something to address that health problem or make everyone healthier or or address people's mental health, fine. But what that's not doing is buying a Nintendo Switch, a PS5 or an Xbox, and you can't call it relaxation because what it is, is it's overstimulating your brain. A screen is never relaxation, period. A screen is not relaxation. So don't call it that. You can call it entertainment. You can call it an outlet, but it's not relaxation. It's a screen. It's designed to be addictive and to monetize you and to hyperstimulate your brain. So don't call it relaxation. That's CAP. Do not call it relaxation. A screen that's monetizing you is not relaxing, okay? That's just the harsh truth of it at the end of the day. However, what I think is fine to spend money on, a gym membership, buying books. If you want to have a Spotify audio membership or an Audible membership, that's fine as a subscription. You know, limit your subscriptions if you can. But you don't need a lot of these things. Now, speaking of the book, and the reason I'm answering this because there are questions in the chat, I should just do a dedicated podcast to the book. My return podcast probably should have just been everything about the book. The next episode of the podcast will probably just be dedicated to the book so I can answer the 101 questions about the book um, and not have to interrupt it with other topics. But um, the book is available in almost every country in the world. United States, Canada, the UK, Australia. I made sure that the book in Kindle and in paperback would be available to anywhere, anyone who wants it. And so it's available. You can even order it into a local bookstore if you want. But on Amazon, it has a ton of options, but you can also order it into your local bookstores. So uh, it's available in Kindle, ebook, and paperback and hardcover, believe it or not. I also have a hardcover. Hardcover is more expensive. You don't have to buy the hardcover to support me, but it does exist if you want to. Uh, It's a little bit extra, but it's durable, will last longer if that matters to you. So you have a hardcover if you want. You have a paperback if you want. You have Kindle. And like I said, if you can't afford it, it's accessible at the library for free. I made it accessible at the library for free. That was something that was very much on my heart. And so um, you have access to that. So, Thank you to everyone supporting the book and everyone who loves the book. Yep. But like I'm saying, there are so many ways to make extra money. And extra money, when you have a stable income on top of that, can be life-changing if you make it life-changing. Well, a lot of people do, though, is they cheat themselves out of life-changing money by saying, okay, I'm going to quit my 9-to-5 job now. Instead of literally just having their income be doubled by having the side business or side hustle and the nine to five job, they could just double their income for a couple of years, stick it out for three to five years of having this high income, not increase their lifestyle, but change their lifestyle and do things like, okay, instead of renting, I'm gonna buy. Now I've locked in a a cost of living. I've locked in a cost of living. Okay, I'm gonna pay off my car. My expenses are now hundreds of dollars a month lower and I have control over the cost of my roof. Fantastic, and you still have this high income. If you can make those changes, it's worth sticking out working the extra time. Yes, even if it's 60 hours a week, as much as everyone, oh, that's toxic. Oh, that's toxic. Oh, people will burn out. It's like people are more afraid of burnout than they are of living in poverty. People are more afraid of burnout than they are of not living their best life and not having their dreams. People are so reluctant to have a season of hustle that would have them avoid a lifetime of hardship. If you have a season of hustle, three to five years, but you get to avoid a lifetime of hardship, and yeah, you might have to burn out once or twice. So what? And again, people are gonna say, oh my God, people are gonna clip this and say, oh my God, that's so toxic. They're being ridiculous. Life is harder than that. Life is harder. Burnout's not the worst thing that ever happened to anybody in life unless they're privileged. Unless you're privileged, burnout's not the worst thing that's ever gonna happen to you in life. And you've survived 100% of the hardest things that ever happened to you. So what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And people mistake clinical burnout, which is very serious, for emotional and mental burnout or being bored or being depressed. And people struggle with that for much worse things all the time who can't do anything about it. So again, I I think that... um, you know, there's a there's a point where people have to choose their sacrifices. You know, there's a point where people have to choose their sacrifices and choose like what they're going to deal with. And I agree with one of those comments from the chat um, that says some people don't have the luxury of calling that mindset toxic. I agree with you. I was someone who didn't come from privilege and didn't have the luxury of calling that mindset toxic. It was the mindset that saved my life and helped my family. So I agree with you a hundred percent that some people, this isn't like, you know, uh, they accept that it's not a glamorous thing. And that's why I try to be very frank and very blunt with all of you. Um, And yes, sometimes the picture I paint is a little grim but I think it's a little bit more of a realistic take. I think it's a more realistic take. And I try to be encouraging, but not encourage delusions of grandeur because I think that's what's dangerous. Of Like, oh, anybody can do it. You can do it too. Yay. To some extent, there's truth in the accessibility, the internet, new technology, new opportunities, new markets available to us. There, There's um, a lot of access that people would not otherwise have that has changed things dramatically. And I think we're all blessed to live in this time. However, there are real issues and real problems that could be prohibitive to some people still that require some kind of intervention or just a different situation for them to have to happen. And I think that that's fine and that that's reasonable to acknowledge. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that it doesn't invalidate things that would work for, say, 80 to 90 percent of people if they were willing to put in the effort. So I think the outlier circumstances for let's say for example the bottom 15% of the population maybe the bottom 15% of the population maybe the majority of that group would not be able to just work hard in the right direction on the right things and build up these things mostly because the bottom percentage of that population may not even be full-time employed gainfully employed to have a stable lifestyle so what I would say is that the foundation of stabilizing lifestyle is the priority. So my advice doesn't apply to somebody whose lifestyle isn't stabilized by at least gainful employment. I don't think my advice applies to anyone that's unemployed. I think I've said that multiple times. But what percentage of the population does that exclude? Not even close to half, not even close to the majority, not even 20% of the population. Not of adults anyway. So if you're a working adult, my advice applies to some extent. They're mitigating circumstances beyond that where it does not. However, I do feel that for most people, like I've always said, the foundation is to become employed and then maybe to work your way into higher levels of being employed, then add a level of self-employment and then see how sustainable it is to keep that going Um, and to ramp up or use the initial ramp up of income while not increasing your lifestyle to deploy that against your life in a a meaningful way. Because again, the buy-in to a better life is not radically expensive. And I think we've qualified that. We've qualified that the buy-in to a better life is not that expensive. Not on a five to 10 year scale anyway. Not on a five to 10 year scale. Because the time will pass no matter what. So let's look at this practically. Let's say you worked hard for five years. You like really grinded and you did extra work for five years, but you pretended like that money never existed. You pretended like that money never existed. So in five years, five years of making $500 extra a month, well, what is that? If all you made was $500 extra a month for five years and you pretended like that money didn't exist, you pretended like that money didn't exist and it was just sitting there, let's say it's not even risked anywhere where it could gain or lose money on compounding interest. Let's just say you put it in a savings account. Five years, you have 30 grand. If you work for $500 extra a month for five years straight, at the end of that five years, you have 30 grand. There is nowhere in America that's not New York and not California where you don't have the down payment for a house if you have that $30,000 or even $20,000 because you don't have to put 20% down. I am a first-time homeowner. Do not believe the hype. You don't have to put 20% down. Oh, you'll pay so much more in PMI if you don't put 20% down. Not really. I'll tell you this. On a $500,000 house, your PMI would be less than $250 extra a month. Oh, $250 a month is a lot of extra money. Your rent will be raised to such a point and the int- the, in- the uh, inflation will go up to such a point to where in another three to five years, you'll be paying more than that by a lot just by renting. You just won't notice it and you won't have a choice in the matter. Whereas the PMI, that extra $250 a month of PMI on top of your mortgage, for one thing, your mortgage It's probably going to be less than your rent, so the PMI is not going to matter. And then once you do hit 20% of invested into your mortgage, once you paid it down up to 20%, the PMI goes away. So does it really matter? And most of you are not going to buy a $500,000 house. You're going to buy a quarter million to $300,000 house as a first-time buyer. So guess what that means? Your PMI is going to be like an extra $100 a month. Your rent is going to go up by more than $100 a month. And even if it doesn't, inflation will make it feel like it did. So for most of y'all, being a homeowner is one of the best things you could do to change the trajectory of your life and your financial freedom and set up your family for success in the future. But you're talked out of it by headlines that know nothing about your life, nothing about your circumstances, and don't tell you the truth according to the actual rules, just the rules that they want you to know. The rules that they want you to know, best interest in the bank is for you to put, it's in the bank's best interest for you to put down 20% upfront on a mortgage you may or may not ever default on because the bank has to keep the 20%. So for them, it's a great deal. For you, you don't have as much cash flow. You don't have as much options. Of course, the bank wants you to put as much down as possible. Of course, the bank wants you to put as much money down as possible, but you don't have to. Instead of 20%, you can put down five. And they're not going to tell you that because it's not in their best interest for you to know that. And they're not forced to disclose that to you. It's freely available information. Your real estate agent can tell you that. So guess what? That's the truth. That's the truth about that part. I'm a homeowner. I can tell you the truth about being a small business owner is that it takes years to build up higher levels of income. For some people, it's three. For some people, it's five. It took me about three to four years to make it to six figures, but it wasn't easy. And- I had to work excessively hard. I did it leaving a nine to five job, going all in, but not on YouTube, freelancing first, freelancing first. YouTube didn't pay off until five three to five years. YouTube paid off with a silver play button in three years of doing it consistently, sure. I didn't make good money on ad revenue and I didn't take really sponsored deals that paid a lot until much later. So again, three to five years to build a successful YouTube channel, three to five years of hard work to begin to get to a six-figure income. It's not overnight. So this isn't like an answer for changing your life overnight. However, the thing that in the immediate future, the thing that in the immediate future improves your life is a side hustle on top of stable, regular employment, on top of stable, regular employment, Living below your means, spending less, saving more, investing some, all of that combined with a side hustle incrementally changes your life over the course of five years and can drastically change it over the course of 10 because that's what I did and that's what worked for me. The time is going to pass anyway. So like that's the thing. That's the thing that you have to understand. And that's the thing that I try to help people with. And if you look at the foundation of even the way I approached my YouTube channel, I started with the skills first, tutorials in what? Graphic design, freelancing, video editing, photography. That was the foundation of my channel. That got me to 100,000 subscribers before I ever started talking about YouTube advice. So I got to 100,000 subscribers helping people build their technical skills and build their career as a creative professional. So guess what I was always advocating for? Get a good job or get clients. Get a good job or get a good clients. Foundation of getting a good job and getting good clients, a good paying job or good paying clients. Foundation of that, technical skills in software. Technical skills, using software to help people for difficult things. Stuff that 99% of the population will not learn. 99% of the population doesn't know video editing, doesn't know Photoshop, doesn't know coding, doesn't know graphic design that's an advantage 99 of the population doesn't know it congratulations if you spend any amount of time getting good at it you've won you now have the ability to be useful to people who have disposable income if you can do graphic design if you can do video editing if you can do audio editing if you can do coding you are useful to the majority of people with disposable income my friend the majority of people with disposable income will pay somebody to take it off their plate. I promise you. So that's the thing people don't understand. And it means you don't have to compete in a market where the only commodity is having a strong back and free time to give. That's the lowest value, lowest priced market there is. You make the least amount of money doing that. So you can make the most amount of money if you have a skill or a trade. So I've always advocated for either have high technical skills and proficiency, and if that's not your cup of tea, get a trade. And that's very cheap to do, especially today. So you can do that. Then if you have stable, gainful employment, if you increase your income streams by doing a side hustle, now that's disposable capital. That capital can be deployed toward either increasing income or building wealth. That income can be deployed toward increasing your overall income or your overall wealth. That's how you can use that extra capital. But what most people use that extra capital for is they buy things. They buy things that don't make them money. They buy things that don't buy back their time. They don't buy themselves out of their employment contract and then take ownership of all of their time. They refuse to do these things because what they'd rather do is be comfortable and what makes them comfortable is seeing things that they bought or having the experience of buying it. So again, the thing that's hurting people is not capitalism. It's largely consumerism. You can make arguments for corruption hurting people, but it's largely down to your consumerism and then a lack of financial education. And then after that, it is a lack of hustle. It is a lack of that extra hustle because you have alternative paths. If you don't like the, I don't want to do a side hustle path, you'd have to say, I'm going to be in a career field that has a future. And a career field that I can work my way and climb the corporate ladder. So one of my best friends, she climbed the corporate ladder. So she's been working in the same industry since she left college. She never changed fields or professions. She only changed jobs and only for an increase in salary, benefits, and flexibility. Every single time. So she has worked at, I think, four or five of the major companies in her industry, always moving up to a promotion in the company or a better position at a competitor. And she's done that for the last 16 years of her career as an adult. 16 years, one industry, four major companies, climbing the ladder the entire time. She stuck to one industry, just like I tell you, all: stick to one niche in your content. She stuck to one industry. So you can think of that like one audience, one specialization, one expertise, and just climbed and climbed and climbed for 16 years to where there are only so many more heights to go. And so she's high income now. Her side hustles are largely partly for preoccupying herself and wanting to dabble in them. Any of the extra money she, that she goes um, beyond break even on it is money she gets to play with in the market or treat herself if she wants or chooses out of that extra money. Because she already did the real hustle for her, which was not the oh, the multiple streams of income thing that I do, but she went and increased her primary stream of income. These other streams of income are for fun and profit. For fun and profit, but for her, a lot of it is fun coming first, which is fine, by the way. And so there's that. You know, um, you know, her husband worked a traditional job. They make enough money to where now he's decided to go all in into real estate. So, but they didn't. But again, they just started with working class jobs in an industry stuck with that industry. And both of them worked in the same industry. So they also shared not industry, like not company knowledge, but they shared expertise. They shared expertise. So they always had a vertical. So it's smart moves. It comes down to playing chess instead of playing checkers. A lot of people play checkers. You could be playing chess. You could learn chess. Just learn chess instead. Just learn chess instead. Why, like, why worry about checkers? Just learn chess and so you could you can make those kind of moves and then that's a different path it's a different path than mine now me and this friend we ended up almost in the same place in life except for you know she's married with a kid i'm single but in terms of income com- comparative income and comparative lifestyle ended up in relatively the same place through different paths through different means there's not a one size fits all option but there is a general strategy and underlying principles that exist across multiple paths here. There's a lot of the underlying principles exist across multiple paths. Flipping Nostalgia asks this question. When do you know you're ready to take on clients with editing? There's no guarantee that you know when you're ready. But if you feel like you're very fast, you're very efficient, you have the disposable time and it's not going to hinder anything else in life that you're doing right now, that is a responsibility and a commitment that you already have, then it's fine to take the shot. It's fine to take the shot. No risk, no reward. So you have to risk that, hmm, if it's not a good time or you're not ready, you'll find out. And it's not going to be so bad if you find out that that's the case. So you have to be willing, you have to be willing to find out whether that's true. So you have to be willing to risk failing. And what a lot of people do is they they hold themselves back or they don't succeed because they're convinced that failing is so horribly bad when you just have to be realistic about what is realistically, realistically, if I fail, what happens? Realistically, if I fail, what happens? Now, if if the situation is if I fail, I'm fired and I'm unemployed and I'm blackballed from the industry, then obviously that's something you don't do. But you have to be realistic about what's the worst that can happen and what's the best that can happen. And then you have to make your decisions accordingly. But a lot of people's biggest fear isn't like some tragedy that results from failure. People's biggest fear is minor discomfort that comes from failing. So I think that that's important to acknowledge. I think that that is a reality that stops a lot of people, makes them procrastinate, makes them struggle unnecessarily. And I think that that can be overcome. I think you have to build confidence, courage, but I also think sometimes you have to be willing to just take a risk, shoot a shot. And that's how it is. But like I said, the six-figure framework, the foundation of it is stable, gainful employment, skills that are highly valued and sought after that don't require a degree, and being able to... Commoditize a reasonable amount of your free time, easier to do when you're single, easier to do when you don't have kids. If you're single and you don't have kids and you have goals and you want money, it's a very simple thing to just work harder. What's going to happen? What's so bad that's going to happen to you? What's so toxic about that? If you do not have kids and you do not have a partner, there's no reason not to work more. I'm not saying do it after your nine to five job when you're already exhausted and tired. Go to sleep. Get eight hours. No one is telling you. I've never heard it. Not once. I've never heard someone say, don't get the recommended six to eight hours of sleep. I've never heard someone say, don't get the recommended six to eight hours of sleep. Never. Not once. Not someone who is being serious. Not once. Not somebody over the age of 30. Not once. So like, again, if you're hearing that, why are you listening to 25-year-olds? Being real here. If you're, like, toxic hustle culture doesn't exist outside of 25-year-olds. It doesn't exist outside of hyperbole. It doesn't exist for entrepreneurs that are over 30 who know what they're talking about. And it doesn't exist for anyone who's been in business for more than 10 years. And it doesn't exist for anybody who's not speaking in hyperbole to people who have mommy and daddy's money who are attending a conference that costs thousands of dollars. All of the so-called toxic hustle culture the media keeps perpetuating over and over. They practically made it up at this point. They are more responsible for it than any of the people they claim are responsible for it. Do you know what the sound bites and the quotes they are taking from that aren't just stupid Instagram memes from nobodies? Do you know what they're, what it actually is? They are clipping sound bites and rhetoric. Addressing an audience of people who already make six figures, who say they want to make seven, who already have more time freedom than most people, and capital to deploy. There is nothing toxic about telling people who make six figures, who say they want seven, who don't need to make seven, by the way. They just want to. They want the merit badge. There's nothing toxic about telling them, okay, cool, bet, you already are a CEO and you work 40 to 50 hours and you make six figures or multiple six figures, but you claim you want seven. Cool. You go work 60 to 68 hours then and don't ask more of your employees. That's the message that's clipped out of context when people talk about toxic hustle culture and talk about working 80 hours a week. That rhetoric is being directed at people who pay $5,000 to be in a seminar who make one hundred to five hundred thousand dollars a year, and aren't satisfied with that. That's not directed at working class people who work, you know, for thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year. It's just not. So it's disingenuous and dishonest to oh, we have this toxic hostile culture. No, we don't. We really don't. What we have is several very harsh, very brutal realities for people. From different backgrounds and situations, largely who are unemployed or underemployed, and on top of that have compounded outlier situations that make that money not nearly enough. We also have rampant inflation and rampant consumerism among people who don't live in New York and California who would be able to live a reasonable lifestyle on thirty dollars to $50,000 a year as a single person if they didn't have extravagant taste because they scroll through Instagram too much. That's the harsh truth about it. And that's what most people don't want to hear. And that's what most influencers will never tell you because you won't like them anymore. I'm not here to pander to anybody, and I'm not here to make anybody feel bad or also to inflate their ego and make them feel good and give them delusions of grandeur. I'm here to be reasonable and rational and look at the numbers addressed certain realities, speak from a certain lived experience, invite other people to speak from lived experience, and to try to help you utilize things like the creator economy, like technology, like these new business opportunities to make the most of the situation you have because I believe you can work with what you have, where you are, and get somewhere that you will be much more happier to be given enough time, but given enough time of doing the right things in the right order for a long enough time. And that largely comes down to some habits, some lifestyle choices, skill development, career development, financial literacy and basics, understanding more about your money, making some choices about what is the cost of the lifestyle that I want. Like there's a great book called Your Money or Your Life. And again, what a lot of people don't understand is they don't understand what the price tag is realistically of the life and lifestyle they want. And what they don't realize is that their consumerism, if they sold all the non-essential things that they happen to have, the lifestyle they want probably manifest instantly if they didn't buy those things. Like that's just a truth. Another truth is that homeownership is something that 63% of working adults in America have attained. The marketing around oh, you'll never own a home, here's why, is kind of disgusting because how is somebody going to tell you that something that's an achievable outcome for more than 60% of adults in America is inaccessible to you as opposed to telling you, here's what you might have to change about your lifestyle, your career, your choices, and your spending to make it accessible to you. Here is the market you might have to play in. You might have to not live in New York. You might have to not live in California. You might have to, okay, transition to a career in remote work that gives you more options so you can work anywhere. And then all of a sudden in a long enough timeline over the course of five to 10 years, these things will be applicable to you. Five years is a reasonable thing. You give up like that for college to go into debt. So five to 10 years to start the process of building wealth or becoming higher income is not some unreasonable commitment called toxic hustle culture at all. When you spend five years or more accumulating some of the largest amount of debt with no asset on the other end of the rainbow, I might add. Like, what's more toxic? What's more toxic? Convincing everybody that they should go to college or convincing everybody to make an extra $500 to $1,000 instead of watching more Netflix or more video games on the weekend? I'm not saying giving up your nights. You can watch Netflix and play video games after work all you want after work Monday through Friday. What's so wrong with telling you to give up six hours on a Saturday, six hours on a Sunday, maybe eight, maybe 10. And you can spend all of your time after work, Monday through Friday, doing whatever you want. If you have a family, maybe you give up less of it. I'm not saying you have to work your your nights and your weekends. I'm saying probably you don't work your nights and you do work your weekends and you do it for three or five years and your life gets better. And then maybe you get to make a decision about maybe not even giving up the Monday through Friday if you don't want to. Maybe that's on the table, but can you put yourself in that position? Are you willing to do what it takes to put yourself in that position? Because that's a choice I had to make. That's a choice a lot of my peers and friends have made. And it's a really easy one when we look at all the sacrifices we made and we look at the life we get to have, all of us get to easily say, yep, it was worth it. There's no amount of, oh, gee, I wish I watched more Netflix. There's no amount of, oh, I, I wish I played more Call of Duty. No. The only thing there is more of is, you know, for all the Netflix and Call of Duty I did play, I wish I spent more time with friends. I wish I spent more time with family instead of doing that. I don't wish that I spent more time. Like, I don't wish that I gave up more work to spend more time with people. I wish I gave up more of letting someone else's screens monetize me if I was going to spend more time with friends and family. I wish that I'd done it at the expense of Netflix, not the expense of making more money. I wish I'd done it at the expense of Xbox, not the expense of making more money. I wish that every weekend that I spent eight hours playing Call of Duty in my 20s had been spent, split the difference between spending time with family and friends or working. I did not need Call of Duty. I did not need Netflix. No one really does. And if you're going to do it, maybe it's for a very short period of time of rationing that for an hour after you've worked all day, and that's it. When I was a kid, when you came home from school, you got an hour of video games or television, and that's basically it. You got to do more of it on the weekend, but not the entire weekend. You still had to go outside, and you still had to read for a little bit, and you still had to do your chores on the weekend. You know, it's bad enough that we have a society where we might not have discipline in children, but we have a lack of discipline in adults too. And no one acknowledges it, and no one calls it out because you're called toxic if you do. But it's coming at the expense of living very dissatisfying lives if we don't discipline ourselves, and if we don't make commitments to the outcomes that we want in life and say, here's the outcome I want. And here are the like um, key requirements for those outcomes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that there's a, I think that that's a real thing that we have to focus on is like, here are the outcomes that I want from my life. And then, Like, there's this thing called, what are OKRs? What are OKRs? So, OKRs, not orcs, but, like, what are OKRs? Objectives and key results. That's it. Objectives and key results. So, like... If you had an objective in life, let's say your objective in life, let's simplify it. Let's say your objective in life was, I want a successful YouTube channel. You'd have to define what a successful YouTube channel is. My loose definition of a successful YouTube channel is a channel with 10,000 subscribers since 90% of creators never get 10,000 subscribers, is monetized in the YouTube partner program since I have 100 million channels. Only 3 million are monetized currently and in the YouTube partner program. So that's another outlier result. So... Uh, those are basically what I say are like defining a successful YouTube channel and a YouTube channel through all of its monetization streams that can at least make $500 a month, $500 to $1,000 a month. Those are the the key results that I tie to having a successful YouTube channel. So if those are the objectives and those are the key results that you have to attain, well, what are those, res- what are those things, what are those indicators rely on you doing? So, to get a thousand subscribers is usually a hundred thousand views to get a thousand subscribers and not be from YouTube shorts, which means to get to ten thousand subscribers, you have to basically get a million views and it not come from YouTube shorts to get to ten thousand subscribers. so that million views is the is what we need in lifetime channel views on average with a one percent conversion ratio to get to the outcome of uh, ten thousand subscribers. So that's what that check in the box looks like. A monetized channel, okay. A monetized channel usually requires four thousand hours of watch time. That's the key. Um, like okay, thousand hours, like four thousand hours of watch time is our objective. So what's the key result? Uh, that we need to achieve for doing that. Typically, you need an average of three minutes of average view duration across a hundred thousand views. So what's the thing we need to do for that? We'll probably make 100 videos, make them up to 10 minutes long because then if we get like, you know, a decent ratio of watch time of 25 to 35%, we clear 3 minutes. If we can get on average on average 1000 lifetime views across 100 videos, oh, we get, you know, 100,000 lifetime views. We have 300,000 hours uh 300,000 minutes of watch time that we need 240,000 minutes to be the 4,000 hours because, you know, 60 times 4,000, whatever, in minutes. So we break it all down and then, oh, poof, we have a reasonable solution to get a monetized YouTube channel phase one complete. Okay, 10,000 is duplicating that process over and over again and scaling it to get to a million views so that we get to, Um, 10,000 subscribers, okay, cool, we've done that. All right, how do we get to $500 a month in recurring revenue from YouTube? We do it with multiple sources, but if we want to go AdSense, we calculate our AdSense. We figure out, okay, well, how much money do I get per 1,000 views? If you make $5 per 1,000 views, then to make $500 a month, you're going to have to make, half a million views a month. So now you know, okay, cool. That's how I'm going to get to that milestone. Okay, great. You know, so like this is reasonable stuff to start to break down and analyze and do the math on whenever it comes to achieving a goal. So like, okay, if we decided that a successful YouTube channel was bigger than you know, 10,000 and say, Oh, well, I really want this or that you just break down the goal into reasonable chunks and pieces. So you have an overall objective. You have the key results that are necessary to build that objective out. And you can break that down into smaller bite-sized steps beyond that. So it is what it is. Uh, Crispy Nation says, I'm in the middle of a career change doing a pre-apprenticeship program at college. Feels like I'm starting from scratch. I'm excited though. Yeah, that's a good place to be in life. That's a congratulations on that. I also see we have technically tea here. Um, So everybody, I hope that this was actionable and practical. Um, This is a value driven episode. Uh, We'll have something more lighthearted. I believe in the next episode, we'll just talk all about the book create something awesome, how creators are profiting from their passion, the creator economy. I hope you got value out of tonight's stream. We're going to move to the live stream only portion. If you're an audio listener, you can watch the replay of this on YouTube. Um, the link is obviously in the show notes, or you can just uh, Google my name, YouTube, my name, and you will find it. But i really appreciate all of you. Uh, thank you. And if you are in the live viewing audience, stay tuned for the after show. And other than that, we'll catch you next time. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.